You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Uh, We're in the middle of March Madness, so a little bit of a departure here on our little uh, pro football show. We'll talk a little NCAA hoops, that's right. Then we'll also get into some football, uh, the second wave of free agency. We'll continue to show some love for our favorite division in the NFL. Seems like the NFC South, we'll talk about uh, the Panthers, some of their moves, what we see them, you know, how they can improve, and also the wide receivers starting to get a little cash here. Uh, I think... The, the cash is just about gone, but uh, they did get some, not what they expected. But first and foremost, let's bring in my partner, Alex Kaftoff. Alex, how you doing? How you liking this tournament? I've been sucked in into a vacuum, Lou. I haven't watched a, a lick of college basketball the entire season. And I thought I was going to watch a little bit of March Madness here and there, a couple of games. Well, it sucked me in, and I haven't been able to leave that vacuum it's been an amazing tournament. I've been I've been glued to the TV those four days. Obviously, we saw Oral Roberts number fifteen, you know, upset Ohio State and Florida. And then we saw you know Oregon State continue their run that that started in the the Pac-12 tournament. We saw a few more upsets. Right, the Pac-12 has just been on fire. Uh, UCLA, Oregon State, USC. Um, they have been on fire, and the Big Ten has just laid a huge egg. The only team that's left in the tournament is the Michigan Wolverines, but my algorithm last week projects them to lose in the next round, so we'll see if if you could take that to the bank or not. Defense still reigns supreme. Uh, A lot of these teams that have advanced past the first round, it hasn't been all about the offense and and the three-point shooting. It's it's been about the defense. I guess the the blue bloods, if you would. I mean, Duke and and Kentucky didn't even get in the tournament. I mean, I don't know. It seems watching these teams that have kids that have been there in the program for like two and three years, they know each other a little bit more. They've played together for a while. Obviously, the experience and. Also, I mean, the limited number of fans, maybe that has something to do with it, with with some of these. But the, but the Pac-12, I guess, is the biggest thing, is that how are these teams where it looked like that conference we were had, like, written off, right? And these other conferences, the Big 12 and the Big 10, eh, you know, not not so much. I mean, they, they, you thought it was going to be, they were going to run this tournament, but they're not. And, you know, guys have been there for a while, going back to like the, the 80s and 90s where guys had to play like two and three years before they could go to the pros. You got to know them. You kind of had an idea who they were, but there's nothing like the tournament. And uh, Sister Jean is still dancing. Gotta love Loyola. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it really is. And I guess moving forward, if you had to re-pick them, who do you think you, you have going the, all the way, or at least the Final Four? I don't have to re-pick anything. My Final Four seeds are it still stands. present. Okay, so who are they? Refresh our memory. So, all right, Baylor is the team that I picked to win the tournament in all of my brackets. Okay. So Baylor is still in there. And then in a lot of my brackets, I had 
Alabama. And I also had Gonzaga. And then I had Houston. And Houston almost lost to Rutgers. Wow, that right? was that, that, that was a tough that one. That almost gave me a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, they, the last couple of minutes, they just they gutted it out. You know, Kelvin Sampson squad, they, they aren't pretty, but they play gritty defense. They can rebound. It just brings back memories of those Oklahoma teams. And he took an Oklahoma Sooners team back in the day with Blake Griffin, I think, to the Final Four. And I just think that Houston has one of those. I had Iowa in some of my brackets. I had them beating Gonzaga, but only in two of them. So majority of my brackets still stand with those four teams. And I think Florida State beats Michigan. That's my kind of spoiler coming up here uh, in the Sweet 16. I just think it's going to happen. I think Michigan is going to be the last Big Ten team that, that's going to go down. They've been a nice story, but one of their best players is still missing. And I just, I'm not going to buy into Jawan Howard taking this team to the Final Four. The Pac-12, like you mentioned, Colorado was the highest seed at number five, right? And they went down on the second day in the second round. And then USC was six. UCLA was 11. Oregon was seven. Oregon State was number 12, and those teams are still there. Oregon beat Iowa. USC beat Kansas. Not only beat them, I mean, they just crushed them. Yeah, that was pretty humiliating. 30 points. You know, for one of the top programs in the country. And, yeah, maybe they didn't have the the same players they've had in the past, but that was just – that was a beat down from the beginning. They never had a chance. And you look at that USC team and with the, the twins down low, I mean, they've got some these teams that have like a lot of length. They're the ones that are like scary. USC, Florida State, you know, they, the guys, are, there's like seven guys on the court playing defense instead of five. But uh, Gonzaga still just still looks like the class to me. I mean, it just seems like way too easy to pick the number one team, but they just seem to have... You know, every position, you know, they, they have a, a more than effective player. They've got a great player. And Mark Few has done a great job. Uh, you know, the undefeated thing, that's that's the toughest thing at, at this point that they're that I think they're playing against because the teams they play are, I don't know that any of them are going to be as talented as them. I don't know if it's if they do feel the pressure, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But just the specter of going undefeated through the entire thing has is, is got to be, you know, looming over them. But I, you know, just watching them play, it, it doesn't seem like the players really feel it. Not at this point yet. So they have Creighton coming up, and then the winner USC and Oregon. If you had to put your money on it, Lou, I mean, are you still rolling with Gonzaga, which is the overwhelming favorite? I, th- I think I have to. I don't know that I've seen anyone, you know, obviously these teams, the, the two teams that I, I really like, I mean, USC just, I mean, they really impressed me. You mentioned you didn't watch much basketball or really any, you know, coming into the tournament. I really hadn't either. A little bit of West Virginia. I have some buddies that, that are alumni and, you know, spent some time down there hanging out and so forth. So they're kind of my adopted team. But other than that, I really hadn't seen much of anyone. A little bit of Gonzaga here and there. Baylor, I thought, you know, they're a really good team. But then they had that COVID pause. And I didn't know if they were going to recover from that. But, you know, they seem to be moving along quite nicely through the tournament. But, yeah, I mean, the, the ones that, that I guess really scare me right now would be that if USC beats Oregon, that would be a tough matchup there for with, with Gonzaga. 
And then, uh, like I said, Florida, you have Florida State winning that game. UCLA is on a little bit of a mission, but like Alabama's a lot of athleticism shooting it well it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting coming down you i don't know that there's a clear cut favorite all the way there you have to say it's gonzaga but uh some of these other teams may have a chance but you know ultimately it may just come down to gonzaga and uh and baylor i would have picked gonzaga to win it all but like you mentioned the unbeaten thing really scares me they haven't lost a game. So if once they get into that in a close game coming to the final coming couple of minutes, how are they going to handle it? They haven't been in those situations this year. I realize that the coach has been there and they've got great team all around. And it seems like, you know, I would pick them and I do have them going to the final four. I can't imagine them cutting down those nets. I just... I have a tough time believing that. I think it's going to be somebody else. Yeah, I might like, you know, you'd like to see one of these, you know, Cinderella's. But at a certain point, and I think maybe this is where, you know, the the dance ends for uh, like an an Oral Roberts against Arkansas. You know, that's that's a tough matchup for them. But then you've got a a couple where either Loyola or Oregon State are going to be in the the final eight. So, So one of these teams can at least get get that far. And Loyola just looks like one of these old school teams. A lot of fundamentals there. They still pound it inside. There's a lot of backdoor, you know, backdoor cuts. Uh, they're not reliant on the three-point shot. And it's, it is kind of old-time basketball. You may as well take the Loyola off their jersey and just put it in Hickory because they look – Gene Hackman's going to be coaching the team next uh, next game, it looks like. but uh, That's funny. That, that, that's a good analogy. Well, the same. Right well, it's the same colors. They're playing in the same field house. It's uh, there's a lot of a lot of Hoosier feel to it. Loyola Chicago went to the Final Four before, so this isn't like new territory for them. Uh, obviously, it's it's a little bit of a different team, but hey, they they can pull it off. I yeah, mean, the I, kid, I've the center. The I think the center on the team. He was a freshman that year. You know, obviously, he's they've got experience and they can lean on him, and he is kind of their most important player, kind of playing that point center, point forward at the head of the key, can go down low. Not the most athletic guy, but he gets the job done. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see if they could, you know, get by Oregon State, and then, you know, who knows, maybe they match up against the Orange in the next round. The the Bayheim connection, obviously, Jim Bayheim and then Buddy, Buddy, Bayheim. Buddy freaking Bayheim. <laughs> <laughs> the West Virginia uh, contingent did not like Buddy's second half. But, uh, yeah, he just thought, you know, Huggy Bear was going to get it done, you know, this year, at least get to the Final Four. You know, they had a lot of offense on the team. The defense wasn't quite as good as it's been in the past. But, yeah, I don't know how that kind of all shook out. But Syracuse, they just seems like Bayheim's made for the tournament. Not that he doesn't win it a whole lot. I think he's won it once, but uh, he can he can get his team to the Sweet 16. Seems like whenever they get in, they've got a shot. But do you remember back in the day when they did win the tournament? Obviously, it was Carmelo Anthony, but there was a point guard by the name of Cade McNamara. He just reminds me of Body Bayheim quite a bit because they're both sharpshooters. They, they can hit it from like 30 feet. Um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have a hand in their face. I mean, they're they're going to knock it down. So Buddy Bayheim reminds me of a former Syracuse player, Cade McNamara, who had a chance to, to win that national championship with Carmelo Anthony back in the day. 
Let's move on. Let's talk a little football now on our pro football show, right? You want to talk about the Panthers? Let's do it. Let's talk about the Panthers. Obviously, last year they bring in Matt Rule, college coach, Temple, Baylor, did some amazing things at both programs. Got, uh, you know, getting his program in gear here. Uh, New GM, Scott Fitterer. Some of the, the free agent ads that they made. Uh, were pretty strategic. They didn't like spend a ton of money on really anyone. They did lose Curtis Samuel, so that's that's a position they're going to have to replace. I think the thirty-four million or whatever that the Washington gave him was probably a little bit more than Carolina wanted to spend on a player that just had one year where it looked like he's he's coming on. So that potential, I don't know if you really want to pay that kind of money for, but God bless Curtis Samuel and the Washington football team. I think he'll do a good job there. But they're 5-11 and 11 last year, seven losses within one score. And many teams can look at their losses. And, you know, it's the NFL. Most of the games are going to be fairly close. But And I know this is going to be emotional for you, but is Teddy Bridgewater the problem? You asked the tough question right off the bat, Lou. Yes. Uh, Watching the games last year, the offense was the problem. When Christian McCaffrey went down, I mean, he was supposed to be the guy that was going to get 300 touches, 350 touches, but that didn't happen. He went down with an injury. He only played in a couple of games. So Teddy Bridgewater was brought in here to play second fiddle, but he was asked to win games because Mike Davis is not Christian McCaffrey. Davis had a nice season, and now he signed elsewhere, but... Teddy Bridgewater was asked to be the guy, and he wasn't up to it. He had the weapons. He had Robbie Anderson. He had Curtis Samuel. He had DJ Moore. So, yes, Teddy Bridgewater let them down. There were a couple of games where he should have led that comeback, but he didn't. They had the opportunity at the end of the game, and he finished 0-8 in those last couple of minute drives at the end of the game. So, yeah. Quarterback has to be able to pull out a couple of those games. You won't be able to do it every time because you're not Joe Montana or Tom Brady, but you can't go 0-8. So the Panthers have to address the quarterback position. Teddy Bridgewater might stay for another year because his contract is, is really friendly, the way it's structured. And they might bring the quarterback that they draft in the first round. This is where I'm going, Lou. I just think the Panthers can't waste time. They realize probably not going to get Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, so they have to pull the trigger and get that quarterback at 8. And if they think that they can't get him at 8, they have to trade up, whether it's with Miami at 3 or with Atlanta at 4. You have to get your guy in this draft, whether it's Justin Fields or Trey Lance. you got to pull the trigger, and you have to set yourself up for the future because if Matt Rule is going to be successful over the long term, He has to get his quarterback of the future. And everything that the Panthers have said, whether it was the owner, the new GM, and head coach Matt Rule, they don't feel that Teddy Bridgewater is that guy for the next five, seven years. So if you don't feel he's the guy, you have to go with the young guy. And that's where I feel the Panthers are going to go with that top 10 pick. Again, I mean, if you're reading the tea leaves and and so forth, I mean, they were in on uh, Stafford. And obviously, he went to L.A. Uh, it looks like they've, they're positioning themselves or have positioned themselves to be in on uh, Deshaun Watson. Now, that's a whole other 
thing, and we can touch on that maybe on the <laughs> before we end the show. But as far as from a football perspective, it looks like they definitely are going to make that move. Now, do they have the ammunition to do so? That's the that's the big thing because they don't have a lot of extra. They don't have any extra picks this year. They have their own pick in every round. Uh, they've got a couple of compensatory picks in the sixth, no seventh round pick. So they, they're sitting there at number eight. I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out, because it seems like those top four quarterbacks, whether people are trading up or those first few teams, they may be gone, right? What is it going to take for them to to move up? I think it's going to be Trey Lance is, is the guy they, they might be be looking at but who do you trade with is atlanta in your own division gonna tra- gonna trade with you or facilitate you getting your quarterback of the future who who is gonna be the trade point who's gonna be the that linchpin and who and and which one of those teams because there's gonna be other teams trying to move up how can they outbid them i think it's gonna be the dolphins at number three, yeah. I think they hold the cards, and I don't think they're going to pull the trigger at number three on a prospect uh, because they drafted a left tackle last year in Austin Jackson. A lot of people are connecting them with either a tackle like Panay Sewell, but I think you can get another right tackle later on in the draft. And then a lot of people are connecting them with the wide receiver like Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, possibly. But I say you don't draft a wide receiver in the top 10. You can always find that guy on day two, especially Miami has been busy bringing in some guys through free agency, some wide receivers that they've already brought in, like Will Fuller. Will Fuller. Sure. Right. So, I mean, that gives you a signal that probably the Dolphins are going to go wide receiver, but they're going to go later on in the draft. So I think you have to look at number three. Trevor Lawrence is definitely gone. He's going to be the number one pick. The Jets are playing games, but I'm almost certain that they're going to go Zach Wilson at two and they're going to trade Darnold for a day two pick. And therefore, if the Panthers want to get that number three quarterback and if they want to get ahead of some teams that might be trading up, whether it's with the Dolphins or the Falcons, they have to make that move to three to secure their quarterback. Whoever it's going to be, Fields or Lance. I mean, that's that's also a, a huge possibility. I think that's the spot that they have to jump in. If they don't and they stay at eight, then they have to settle for that fourth guy. I don't think it's going to be Mac Jones because Mac Jones is similar to Teddy Bridgewater. All right. And the Panthers are trying to get past that a little bit. They want to get a guy that has a stronger arm. They want a guy who can attack vertically. They want to have that in their offense a little bit. And Fields and Lance give you more of of an ability to do that than Mac Jones does. Mac Jones is a great fit for some other teams, but I don't think he's a fit here with the Panthers. So they either trade to number three with the Dolphins and get their their quarterback, like their guy, after the first two, or they stay at eight and settle for that fourth quarterback. So I think that has to be the question. Do they have Fields and Lance fairly close together that they would feel comfortable with either one of those guys if they fall to number eight. Well, like you said, I think either way, you know, Lance may need that red shirt year and you've got Teddy sitting there. So, I mean, that could work out. I guess the ammunition part is is where I'm thinking here is they may have to dip into future first round picks in order to move up. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I guess either way they might have to do that, but they've got eight and 39. 
when they were talking about uh, the Deshaun Watson trade, you know, you heard names like uh, Christian McCaffrey being thrown around. If you make that kind of move and all the other picks, is that really taking a step forward with a Deshaun Watson now? Because now you're going to be limited in what, you know, the weapons that he has. Look, if you can get a top five quarterback in this league, and Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback in the NFL, you pull the trigger. Deshaun Watson obviously has huge legal problems coming up, and I'm not sure that Allegedly. I'm not sure. You don't know. Well, I I just, at this point. It doesn't look good. Deshaun Watson isn't getting traded, okay? Because even though teams might still be contacting uh, Houston, I don't think Houston is making that deal until this situation sorts itself out because we don't know what the implications are going to be. So I just want to move away from the Deshaun Watson thing. I think the Panthers have as well. I just think that they're focusing on the draft over a month away um, from the NFL draft being in Cleveland. And I think it's they're going to attack it and they're going to choose their quarterback in the top 10. Then they have to go offensive line because in free agency, I'm looking at the names that they signed, like Cameron Irving, like offensive lineman that has played everywhere. They like signed John Miller to a one-year deal, Pat Elfline. I'm not confident with any of those guys. Those guys are average at best. And you know, they need to solve that offensive line. They have to get somebody. They have to get a left tackle. And I just think that that's the way that the Panthers need to go. They need to get their quarterback, and then they have to fix their offensive line. I like a lot of their moves that they made on the defensive side um, during free agency. I thought they, they signed guys for a bargain, like Hassan Reddick was a bargain for a one-year deal, $8 million. And then you got Denzel Perriman, also on a cheaper deal, and he's a veteran, two-year deal. He comes over here, he's... He's been in a you know three four defense, so he knows what it takes to play the middle. I, I like that move as well. And uh, and you mentioned that they lose Curtis Samuel, but you know what? They added David Moore on a two year deal, and I always felt like David Moore was one of the more underrated wide receivers in this league. Kind of a a sleeper guy that that didn't get that much targets in Seattle. David Moore actually could be an upgrade over somebody like Curtis Samuel. Well, a much different player, right? I mean, more polished receiver overall. Uh, I liked him, Dan Arnold, you know, for the for his little opportunities and in much in the same way as David Moore in Seattle, the little opportunities that he got in Arizona, it seemed like he made some big plays. So not that he's going to be a top-of-the-line tight end, but he's certainly a huge upgrade from what they had at tight end because that's one of the glaring weaknesses that that they've had there is that you know a pass catching tight end love Hassan Reddick back with his college coach played for him at Temple but they've got some good young players on defense you know you talk about Chin and maybe he gets to go back to his original position of safety I mean what do you think about him playing outside linebacker that that just seemed a little strange to me but Gross Matos well, he did. Shaq Thompson Derek Brown so they've got some players on defense Yeah, they absolutely do. And Phil Snow, their defensive coordinator, he can get creative now because he doesn't only have Brian Burns. Now he has Hassan Reddick. So you can get creative with those blitz packages. And you Shin is one of those kind of chess pieces moving around like Honey Badger and... Uh, yeah, like like I said, Jeremy Chin is now can go back to being a safety, and you can move him around out there. I just I think they have to solve the the cornerback situation a little bit. 
the offensive line and obviously quarterback. Sometimes it's it's a blessing when you don't make the move for a star quarterback. You get to keep your picks and try to build the team for the future. And watching Matt Rule during the Senior Bowl, he's got a great personality. Players respect him. They listen to him. He's got a lot of energy just because he's coming from being a college coach and you have to be more personable. And um, I just, I like what they're doing out there. And the Panthers in this division, now with Drew Brees moving on, they, they've got a shot. Again, I, I feel like the Falcons or the Panthers, if they ace the draft and get some pieces, if they do well in the draft, they have a shot to get into the wild card and, you know, have a good season in 2021. Yeah, I think rules certainly, you know, build, obviously building something here. It's only been a, a year, no real off-season program, and, you know, per, potentially not another, you know, off-season program. But they certainly have a plan, and I think they're going to execute it. They don't plan on picking in the top 10 anytime soon. So I think this is the year they are going to go after the quarterback. Which one? We'll see who, you know, if they can make that deal. They probably have to make a deal. Lance, or uh, our friend from Ohio State. Right. They added some pieces on defense. Offensively, you know, like you said, I mean the line, I mean, outside of, of Moten on the right on the right hand side on the as a right tackle, you mentioned Elf line. Yeah, okay, he's kind of all right. I mean you got some decent money, but no no big money spent there. Paradise has been around forever at center. Dennis Daly, Greg Little on the left side. I mean, it's just going to be tough to, to solve all that stuff this year. But this year is going to be the year for the quarterback. But even with those issues, like you said, I think they, they will be able to compete and um, you know make some noise in the NFC South, especially with the fact that uh, you know New Orleans could take a step back with Jameis. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, Panthers. Looking, uh, looking like a team that's going to make some moves here in the draft and uh, be a contender here in the NFC South. So the uh, second wave of free agency is kind of upon us, or maybe we're past it, or I'm not exactly sure where we're at because there's just a lot of smaller deals, unless you're the New York Giants. The Giants in the second wave seem to have broken the bank uh, for Kenny Galladay, for Adoree Jackson. But just from the outside looking in, it looked like on both those players, it was almost as if they were bidding against themselves. Did they just identify a couple of players that they absolutely wanted and say, we're going to pay you that late into free agency that Kenny Galladay got $18 million a year? I just think Dave Gettleman is desperate at this point. He knows he has to show improvement. And I'm talking about the GM because the head coach is safe at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Like Joe Judge is, is there to stay. Now, but Dave Gettleman has been there for a while, and he drafted Saquon Barkley, and he hasn't turned out to be the, the next Marshall Falk. He was injured last year. Daniel Jones, I mean, that was a gutsy move by picking him at number six. A lot of people thought it was going to be a different quarterback. He went with his guy. He stood by that pick. Well, Jones showed some flashes as a rookie. As a sophomore, he struggled, so that's a huge question mark. But if you want your quarterback to be successful, you need to bring in the number one wide receiver. And Kenny Galladay has proven before the injury that he was turning into that number one wide receiver with the Detroit Lions. Did they overbid? Yes. But Dave Gettleman had to do it in order look at the, the wide receivers that they had on the roster last year. It's not much to brag about. I hope he's healthy and Galladay improves their wide receiver 
core as a whole. Uh, Dory Jackson, kind of an interesting move. I like him. I mentioned that I like him as a player. I think they also gave him a lot of money. But you told me last week, Lou, you're always going to overpay in free agency. It's always going to feel like that, right? I mean, even if the moves you didn't like, and we don't know who else was interested in Galladay or Adoree Jackson, but the Giants identified them and went all in. Gettleman knows that he has to win next year in a very weak NFC East at this point. And you bring in more weapons, and you hope Daniel Jones takes a a step forward in year three. If he doesn't, with Kenny Galladay there, then Gettleman is just going to lose his job. That's pretty obvious. I mean, the writing is on the wall. Well, it seems, I mean, Galladay was the only one of the, I guess, the name receivers or the ones at the top of the free agency list that really got a deal, so to speak. You know, Juju goes back to Pittsburgh on a team-friendly deal, you know, like $8 million for a year. Uh, Will Fuller, same thing, a little bit more money with incentives. He can earn up to 13 or 14 million, but again, it's on one-year deal. Samuel got three years, but again, he I don't know that he was in the same status as them because, again, he, it was just kind of last year that he was starting to break out. I guess that was the whole idea, or at least what I was thinking about as far as Galladay was concerned, is you know it wasn't one of these guys that like right away came out and, okay, here's the deal, and I'm getting, getting all this money. It kind of, the market kind of settled, and all these guys were, you know, taking, you know, small deal, one year, prove it deals, but Galladay got the big contract, which, again, I thought he might have gotten, but it just seemed that, I guess the timing was just a little off, and I thought that was interesting, or maybe the Giants were just bidding against themselves, but they got their guy, and that's all that's important, and, uh, you know, hopefully he fulfills that contract. It lives up to the money because, like you said, I mean, Darius Slayton, Shepard, yeah, I mean, they're good receivers, but they really need that kind of alpha guy to take over that position. Hopefully, Galladay's that guy. What did you think of, of the Juju situation? Because it was reported that perhaps uh, the Ravens had come in with a similar offer, but he could make more money in incentives. The Chiefs also uh, were in there with a similar offer that, again, could make a little bit more money with incentives. But uh, he chose to go back to Pittsburgh. What is it about the Chiefs getting spurned during the free agency period? I, I don't get this. I mean, the, the 49ers the Chiefs... have a plot. I think. <laughs> drove up the price on Trent Williams. He goes back to San Francisco. They, and again, wasn't like a, a big deal, but Kiwan Williams was in maybe to play their slot corner. He went there on a visit yesterday, leaves, and first thing this morning, he's got a deal with the Niners. So it's like, you know, the cynic in me is is, is stirring the pot here and say, well, maybe they, they're getting a little revenge for on the, from the oh, Chiefs. Oh, Juju. Juju didn't sign with the 49ers. No. So relax there. When I heard the news that he was going back to Pittsburgh, I was shocked because... Yeah, all indications pointed in the direction that he was going to leave. The Steelers never signed wide receivers to a second contract unless, you know, it was Antonio Brown. Uh, they, they draft wide receivers. It's almost like a wide receiver factory. Who Who's the next one up in the draft? And they do a good job identifying those pieces and, and developing those guys. Smith Schuster basically wrote a letter to Pittsburgh on the organization thanking them. So he was almost convinced that he wasn't coming back. I guess he had a change of heart once he realized that he wasn't going to get the Kenny Galladay type of money. 
And once he realized that, then I guess he gave him a, a home down discount a little bit on a one-year deal. He's still going to be, what, 25 next year? He's a young when guy. When he becomes a free agent? Very young. He's a young yeah. guy. I guess he's betting on himself. I mean, I mean, He was only like 20 or 19 or 20 when he came to the league. He was like one of the youngest players. And last year, Chase Claypool outplayed him. So at this point, Juju has to show that he, he can become that number one guy in the offense. Who cares if he's a slot receiver? doesn't matter where you line up, in the slot or outside. Uh, if you're a number one guy, I mean, you're going to be it. So he's betting on himself, and he knows he's coming back to a winning organization. But I was still surprised that, that he went back. You know, Will Fuller. I mean, the, the Dolphins needed playmakers. We're, you know, we're talking about you know some teams in desperate need of a wide receiver like Kenny Galladay going to the Giants as badly as, as the Giants did. Because Devontae Parker can't stay healthy, and, and the Dolphins don't have anyone outside of him. So Will Fuller is kind of an interesting move. I mean, he gives him that vertical threat, that deep threat for, for Tua. But I like what the Jets are doing, Lou. I mentioned it on Twitter that I think the Jets, they're, they're not giving out big deals. They're bringing in these underrated guys. But they brought in Carl Lawson last week, and this week they brought in Sheldon Rankins. I realize he didn't have a good season with the Saints last year, and he's kind of betting on himself, but he's 26 years old. This is an all-pro defensive lineman. I like the move. I think the Jets are just setting themselves up uh, for the draft, but they're bringing in some some nice pieces for Robert Sala and that team, and, and the Jets are doing something that we haven't seen previously because the previous regimes before Joe Douglas they were just splurging. I mean, they were bringing in some Le'Veon Bell type of players, you know, running back when you don't have the offensive line. Joe Douglas is being smart with the money, and I love what the New York Jets are doing in free agency early on. And they're in a really good position, obviously, in the draft, you know, sitting in the catbird seat, if you would, there. They either take Zach Wilson or they go ahead and make a, make a move, keep Sam Darnold, trade the pick, which they get a boatload of picks for. They already have a boatload of picks. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's moving in the right direction, and that's got to be some glimmer of hope to Jets fans that have kind of packed it in over the last few years. But uh, let's see how that keeps going. And you mentioned some of the, these under-the-radar moves, and I, I just had a, wrote a few of them down that I think, wow, I mean, this could work out really well. The Rodney Hudson trade to Arizona, kind of a low-key thing, where he was, you know, at first, you know, the Raiders were going to uh, release him, but then they're probably thinking he may make a beeline for Kansas City. Let's see if we can trade him. You know, off to Arizona he goes. And I think that's just a, a masterful, and it wasn't free agency, but a, a great move there by Arizona. Uh, Mike Davis to Atlanta. He is productive wherever he's been, durable, and Atlanta hasn't had that. I don't know if he's going to be in, you know, maybe a first and second down back. He's not going to be a you know, 200, 300 touch guy, but for the time that he gets, he will produce. Kyle Fuller, you know, again, he made a beeline to his old defensive coordinator to Denver. I thought that was a nice move. Keanu Neal going to uh, to Dallas in a similar situation with, with Dan Quinn. But uh, Gerald Everett, you know, to Seattle, I thought that was a good one. And again, these are all one-year deals, anywhere from 5 to $7 million, not a lot of money being spent. Gerald Everett to Seattle, I thought that was a good move. Van Noy going back to New England. God, I mean, again, cynic, conspiracy theorist here. Miami gave, gave him a pretty decent contract. 
And after a year, they bail right back to New England. Yeah, those are just some of the under-the-radar ones that I thought were could be significant moving forward with those teams. I bashed the Patriots last week, but I give them credit for this Kyle Van Noy move. I mean, it was almost certain that he was going to go back there. The Pats literally did the exact same thing with Jamie Collins, right? You remember that? He went right. to the Browns. Yeah. Had a couple of bad years. They released him. He went back to the Pats and once again, you know, started playing his butt off. I imagine the same thing is going to happen with Kyle Van Noy here. So uh, that that was an excellent move. And you mentioned Keanu Neal uh, joining Dan Quinn with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, he knows the defense. He's familiar with the scheme that they're going to do. And write it down, Lou. Write it down right here in the middle of March. I hate to say it as a San Francisco 49ers fan. But the Arizona Cardinals are going to win that division. I'm marking it down down as we speak. Alex. Write it down right now. (laughs) Um, Even before the draft happens, I think Arizona is going to do well there. I get the feeling that the Cardinals are in are going to make a huge move. And I think not only are they going to win this division, but I think they're going to go like 13-3 and or 12-4. and And they're going to be one of the best teams from the NFC. I just, I love the moves that they're making. They're once again more familiar with that system. Kyler Murray is coming into his third year. DeAndre Hopkins is in his second year with the team. The Arizona Cardinals are going to be one of the the favorites to make the Super Bowl out of the NFC. Well, that second or third, the second and third receivers, I think, is going to be key to that offense. You know, can A.J. Green uh, stay healthy? Can Christian Kirk be a more consistent player and kind of reach his potential? So I think that, you know, offensively, that's going to be it. You know, can they, the running back position, no Kenyon Drake, so they're going to have to, they're going to have to shore that up. But, uh, yeah, everything else they're they're doing is on point. Yeah, I really the Rodney Hudson thing I thought, just thought was a masterful stroke because even though he's 32 years old, he's still you know if he's not the best center in the league, he's right there in the top two. And yeah, great great move as far as that goes. Teams in that division are going through some turmoil. Uh, the Seattle thing, you know, once again the the quarterback and the organization aren't on the same page. And, you know, Pete Carroll wants to go back to running the football. And and Russell Wilson wants to be the man. The 49ers, Jimmy G, it's not working right there with Kyle Shanahan. It's not. But it seems like they're stuck with him for another year unless they draft a quarterback in the first round. You know, obviously the Rams. Everybody expects the Rams to take that step forward because Sean McVay said so. Because he traded for Matthew Stafford. But it's going to blow up in his face. I'm, I'm telling you it's going to blow up in his face. And Stafford hasn't won anything during his you know, 10, 12-year career in the NFL. So what makes you think that he can win now? I just think the Arizona Cardinals are primed. Just primed to take that position. And mark my words, Cliff Kingsbury and John Keim, they're going to draft a couple of wide receivers in the draft. I'm almost certain of it. Maybe not in the first round or the second round, but they like to stockpile those receivers, especially knowing that A.J. Green is on his last legs. You know, Larry Fitzgerald is on his last legs. They're, they're going to draft a guy. Or- yeah, I mean, I, I would think, yeah, any, any more weapons. You have a quarterback like that. You get first, foremost, you got to protect them and then give them weapons. And that's, that's kind of the recipe there. And I think that maybe that, you know, the Rams... I don't know that it's going to so much be a Stafford problem, but the two guys that they lost at Cleveland, Troy Hill and John Johnson, I think that's going to be significant 
because and it's going to be a huge upgrade for Cleveland, right? I mean, these are two two pros, two grown-ups playing in the defensive backfield that they've had all sorts of issues with. So the Rams, I guess decreases if you would would come on the on the defensive side of the ball i I think stafford's going to have a huge success there and uh it's just i like stafford so that let's just leave it at that he hasn't won anything yes that's true but he has played for detroit and they've never won it well okay not never but not in our lifetimes have really won much at all lou i'm not a gambling man but before the season starts take arizona in the nfc and take the Cleveland Browns in the AFC. I think you're going to look smart because I think one of those teams so might a make future, it to the So you're season. a futures guy. Like I said, I'm, I'm working on an algorithm. My algorithm for the NCAA tournament has done pretty well. Didn't account for all the upsets, but it's done well. I'm telling you, the, the Cardinals and the Browns are peaking in the right direction. Well, again, we see in the NFL every year is it's some you know, some team that kind of is on on the rise makes a really deep run or it's, you know the it's a team that finishes fourth one year, all of a sudden they win their division or you know, they get in the playoffs and with the expanded playoffs now, you know, it's just good, it's gonna happen more and more. So I why not them, right? Why not the Browns? Why not? Why not the Cardinals? Well, the Browns, yeah, they've just got all sorts of other bad juju happening over that. Uh, but again, they're new GM making all the right moves. Stefanski's got uh, Baker Mayfield playing within himself. What do you think? I mean, OBJ is he going to come back? Yes, I think he'll come back because the Browns know that they can't get the price that they want for him. And this isn't about just cutting bait and trading him for like a day three pick. You still want to get nice return for him. I'm not talking about a first round pick, but because he's coming off an injury, I don't think they're even going to get a day two pick out of him. So yes, I think OBJ is going to return to the Cleveland Browns and and I think he's going to be playing out there with Jarvis Landry and Rashad Higgins. You know, he's going to try to make it work. It might be his last year in Cleveland. I think the Browns, as an organization, realize that they can't trade him for, for a good enough price. Who's the final four, and who's the finals, and who's your winner? All right, so I've got Baylor, Gonzaga, and I've got the, the two number two seeds. I've got Alabama, and I've got Houston. That's my final four. As far as the final, I'll go Baylor against Gonzaga, I think Baylor will cut down the nets in the end. Okay, so given the, the all the upsets and whatever, we don't. I get. I don't really see any of these uh, the higher seeded teams coming through and, and getting to the final four. It's always fun, and but then at a certain point, you know, they just can't continue on that magical run. So we're gonna see. We're gonna see some chalk here. I. I mean, if there is gonna be one, I don't know. I've just got a sneaky suspicion about USC, but. Yeah, I wouldn't put any money on that. All right, Baylor, the Bears. Put the money on Florida State over, over Michigan. Michigan. That, you I'm like that you, one, it, yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Florida State is going to go to the Elite Eight, and they're kind of a sleeper pick to get to the Final Four. Um, but um, I'm not willing to, to take that bet right now. But I do think another, the last Big Ten team, is going to go down then at the hands of the Seminoles. That's right. Stick to football, Big Ten. All right, gang, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you to Alex. Thank you to the, our announcer guy. Thank you to Lou. 
Uh, yes, I'm referring to myself in the third person, but NCAA tournament, here we go. On the way out, we wish you peace.